0: Jan and Jean Williamson, would you please stand up? Where are you? Back here in the back. Today is their 58th wedding anniversary. What a treat. Uh, There's such an example in a lot of ways, that being a big one. The faithfulness of marriage, so thank you guys for that. A lot of you have asked, you know, that uh, Terry and I and Don and the Kennedys and the Farleys are heading out on Tuesday to go to Israel. Kind of the bucket list trip that I thought I would never be able to do, and so we are excited, but really, I won't really be planning and preparing until about 45 minutes from now, because I'm a man and I can only think of one thing at a time, and what I've got on my mind is this sermon, so... Once that's done, I'll think about the next thing. So. But I did want to tell you about uh, one of the things that you're also aware of, and it's one of my favorite things to do every year, that we've done it for the last several years, and that's to take a backpacking trip into the mountains of Colorado. Uh, my friend Greg Storm kind of turned me on to a uh, place in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, which is kind of the southeast corner of uh, the Colorado Rockies. Uh, still a part of the Rockies, um, and it's as beautiful as any place I'd ever been inside of the mountains. It's just gorgeous. Uh, typically, it's not real crowded. The fishing is incredible, and it's just challenging enough that if you uh, take that trip, it's kind of up and over a pass. You work just hard enough to feel like you've accomplished something, but not so hard that you spend the rest of the time trying to recover. Um, so it's really a, a great time. This is the picture of... Uh, having made it to the top of this pass is called Music Pass. I think it's because you want to sing when you get to the top. Um, But as a leader, as I lead groups, this is my favorite place because by this time you've had a steady ascent. And you get to this pass and you can look back to where you've been and feel like you've accomplished something. And then you look down into this valley and it's just absolutely beautiful. And you get excited about what you're going to next. Right here is when everybody says, this has been worth it. This is awesome, and so this is my favorite place. I tell you that story because I believe that chapter 13 is the music pass of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. The climb up to this point, if you want to look at it that way, has been difficult at times. We've tackled some challenging things, but I can assure you once we get to this place, we can look back and have some perspective and realize where we've come and really be thankful for what we've accomplished and even excited about things that are ahead. I'm convinced in my own heart that Paul couldn't wait for his reader to get to this point. Because chapter 13 is where it all makes sense. It's where it all comes together and it's where we look at the passage and say, man, this has been worth it. This is what we're all here for. Now, some have looked at chapter 13 and said, well, this whole topic of love seemed to come out of nowhere. This is like one of Paul's rabbit trail conversations that he often has in his letters. But let me just assure you, that is not the case. This is not some random thought. It is actually the main point of the letter. This is the place in which everything he has said and everything he will say ultimately hinges on this passage. It is the topic that is the color behind all that he has said and all that he will say. In fact, it is the very foundation of life within the Corinthian church and life within this church. It is the main point for them and for you and I. So let's have that perspective as we look at this passage together. And before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we don't want to miss the main point. I'm convinced that all that Paul had to say to the Corinthian Christians Uh, All uh, hinges on this chapter, this very important point, the more excellent way of love. I believe this is what he ultimately was working towards by the inspiration of your spirit in his heart. And I pray that it penetrates deeply into ours this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And I do pray that because of the truth that transforms that we would not be the same when we leave. As we were when we came. And that's our prayer this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Great, great chapter. Very popular. uh, Weddings and so forth. But uh, let's see if this gives us a, a fresh perspective in the context of what we've looked at together so far. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 1. Paul says. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and to know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about what we're walking through here is Paul's use of the personal pronoun I. You see how he's pointing to himself. So instead of pointing at the Corinthians and and telling them the things that they're doing wrong, he points the focus on himself and, and uses his own life as an example. Now, what he's saying is still instructive, but he's allowing it to be received by his readers by giving his own life as the example. But there's a purpose behind it, and it reminds me of when I was a kid. I'll give you an example. When I was young, I was uh, learning new things for the first time, as kids do, and one of the things that I was learning is how to start a lawnmower. Now, I'm not talking about the ones you sit on and turn the key. That's not real difficult. What I'm talking about is the old push-style mowers where you had to kind of uh, prime the carburetor, uh, adjust the choke, Hold your mouth just right and just pull away, right? And I remember when I was learning to do that, how I would get out that lawnmower and go through the steps and I would pull and pull and pull and it would never start. Well, my dad, seeing my challenge, my struggle, would look at me and say, can I give it a try? Instead of kind of pointing out what I'm doing wrong, he just steps in and says, mind if I give it a try? So he would come up to the mower and he would prime the carburetor he would adjust the choke he would hold down the drive lever (laughs) and it would start the first time he didn't have to say a word but by watching his example i knew immediately what i was missing i think in some ways that's exactly what paul is doing in the corinthian church (laughs) He's stepping in to apply this truth to his own life. It's almost as if he's saying, like my dad, mind if I give this a try? And the description that he gives is important because it ultimately reveals what the Corinthians are missing. His example exposes their error, just like my dad's example revealed mine. He wants them to know that the church doesn't work. Unless you have love, because that's what they're missing. Now, as we think about that, I want you to understand what I believe to be the key to this passage. Uh, up to this point, Paul has been talking about gifts of the Spirit, right? We've walked through that together. Back in chapter 12, verse three he, or 7, he talks about how to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And and it goes on to explain how he gifted each and every one of us and and fit us together and empowered us by his spirit so that we might impact the world for Christ. Now he turns to what he says in verse 31 of chapter 12, and I will show you a still more excellent way. That more excellent way is love. And what's important to, to understand at this point is Paul is not introducing another spiritual gift. Because love is a fruit of the Spirit. Love is the evidence of God's presence. It is the reality that empowers the gift to ultimately accomplish a divine purpose. And in the absence of love, they are motivated by the sinful flesh to accomplish selfish gain. Let me give you another illustration. I carry around a knife every day, except Sundays. I just brought it for today. But let's just say that I have this knife. And as you know, there are times during the day as you're doing different things, you, you need a tool. Like if I had these, my watch has these little bitty tiny screws. And when I'm during the day, I don't have a screwdriver with me. And so my tendency might be to, to pull out my pocket knife, right? And, and I might just take the tip of this pocket knife and stick it inside that screw and, and try to tighten it. Now, now there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, it'll be minimally effective because that's not what this knife was designed for. The other thing is that it it will likely hurt me because typically you push on that, it'll ruin your knife and you end up stabbing your hand, right? Because that's not what it was designed for. Well, the same is true when it comes to exercising spiritual gifts in the absence of of the Spirit of God. It's against his design. It's minimally effective. And very often people get hurt. And so beginning in verse 1. Paul goes back to these gifts of the Spirit that he's been talking about. And he has some, a different perspective to share. Look at verse 1 again. He says, if I speak with tongues of men and of angels. Now verse 2 he says. And if I have the gift of prophecy to know all mysteries and to, to know all, not have all knowledge. Well, if you'll glance down at verse 9, you'll see that that's absolutely impossible because it says in verse 9, we know in part and we prophesy in part. You see, Paul is using exaggerated terms in order to make his point. Like faith, that doesn't just move mountains, it removes them altogether. Paul says you can do all these things to their ultimate extreme, including sacrificing your own life. But it will accomplish nothing apart from God. It's like a mirage in the desert. It it promises to be satisfying. It it looks good. But when you get there, there's nothing. It it doesn't exist. It's fool's gold. Kind of lots of sparkle, but no real value. So Paul is speaking to us, and he wants us to understand that he's not making a comparison here between the the gift of the Spirit and and the gift of love. He's saying that these it's not an either-or, it's a a both-and. Because the gifts that God gives to each and every one of us are useless apart from him. His Spirit has to empower those to accomplish the intended divine purpose. And, And apart from that Spirit... They are only used to accomplish selfish gain. And he's going to describe that. Look at what he says beginning in verse 4. And I want you to notice the contrast as we go through this. It says in verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. Is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. It does not take into account wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The first thing I want you to notice is that when Paul goes through this description, he's using observable terms, isn't he? It's as if he's saying, you'll know it when you see it. and, And here's what to look for. And then he gives examples. And those examples are by way of contrast what love is. And what it is not. What love does and what it does not do. Paul is highlighting the difference between actions that are motivated by selfish gain and those that are motivated through the work of the Holy Spirit. Or another way to look at it is the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So, for example, as we walk through this, When actions are dominated by selfish desires, it's likely you will see people who brag, who are arrogant, and who seek their own. These are people who do good deeds, (laughs) but they want to make sure you notice them. And when that's our heart, and I'm using that pronoun on purpose, when that's our heart, we can become discouraged when we don't get the credit that we think we deserve. Because truth be known, we're using our gifts to be noticed by others. It's how we validate our self-worth. Our value is determined by what we do and uh, the perceived importance of our individual contribution. That's why we are inclined towards things that are over the top, extraordinary, something that nobody's ever done before, so that you'll notice. But I want you to keep that example of mind and, and listen to an example in the life of Christ. You don't need to turn there, but you can listen. It's in Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Listen to this event. <clears throat> it says, And again, <clears throat> he, being Jesus, went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon, the Sea of Galilee, within the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they entreated him to lay His hand upon him. And look at what Jesus did. It says, and he took him aside from the multitude by himself. And then he, it goes on to describe what he did to, to heal this person. He took him aside by himself. Now, if Jesus was interested in the applause of men, would he have done the miracle in secret? If you read that passage, you'll find that later on he actually comes back the man being healed and he speaks to the crowd and says don't tell this to anyone don't spread this around this was for now you see Jesus didn't arrogantly intend to impress people with his power in fact he purposefully over and over again tried to downplay the miracles why because Jesus knew That people would be impressed with signs and wonders, but their heart would only be changed by the experience of his love. And when the Spirit of God is at work within you, you understand the same. So that you use your gifts to bring glory to Christ and not put attention on yourself. As Paul continues, he talks about other examples that, again, give evidence of a selfish motivation in the use of God's gifts that He's given us. And He says these are people who are easily provoked to anger, they become jealous, and they take wrongs into account. In other words, their good deeds are kind of hidden behind a selfish veil. And when this is our heart, because this, again, is another area where we have all had experience, and when this is our heart, We end up using service to promote uh, our superiority by putting people in our debt. And here's how it works. (laughs) I serve you, and now you owe me. And I like it like that. Service can be a subtle form of selfishness and and control. And and that's what Paul is trying to say. We can manipulate even with the good deeds (laughs) and the gifts that God has given us. Which is why our anger can be so easily provoked when things don't go our way. Our actions can have strings attached. Our love can be conditional. That's why Jesus both lived the example and spoke the words to love those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. Because as, as Jesus goes on to say, to love those who love you, what good is that? Even the tax collectors do that. And I want you to think about that statement. Why do the tax collectors love those who love them? Because it proves to them that they're still on top. It feeds their appetite for for power and control. But if you love those who hate you, those who mistreat you, those who are unkind, who don't appreciate your efforts... That's a real test of your motives, isn't it? But that's the love of Christ. Who, when hanging on the cross, looked down at those who put him there and said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. It's a love that considers the needs of others. is more important than your own. It's a love that's full of grace without conditions or strings attached. The evidence of divine love in the life of a believer. Paul turns to one more category of selfishness or selfish motives. And this is when there are people who act unbecomingly or rejoice on unrighteousness is what he says. And this is a hard one because you look at those two things, those two descriptors, and you can say, well, how do those look like love at all? I mean, how are those mistaken as, as Christian behavior? Well, maybe this is the category where we see in the Corinthian church where they kind of turned a blind eye towards sin. Remember the man who was having relations with his stepmother and nobody said anything? It might give the appearance of love because, well, I'm being tolerant. I mean, after all, who am I to judge? But the fact of the matter is, is, The pure basis is if I confront the sin in their heart, then I probably got to deal with the sin in my own heart as well. You see, by giving them freedom, I give myself an excuse. Because then I can say at least my sin is not as bad as their sin. You see the difference? That's selfish. And that's the, the contrast that Paul has in mind as he goes on to describe what divine love is supposed to look like instead of being quick tempered it's patient and long suffering instead of being jealous and arrogant it, it's kind and merciful it's a love that doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness in fact it rejoices in what what is true what is good what is right it believes all things it hopes all things it endures all things this is the love of of Christ who was patient not wanting anyone to perish but all to come to repentance who endured uh, despising the shame and, and seated at the right hand of the God this is divine love that's living and active in the heart of all those who believe after all Christ in you the hope of glory the love that never fails to accomplish divinely ordained purpose. That is what should motivate the gifts that God has given us. Now, look at how Paul continues in verse 8. He says, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. There are tongues, they will cease. If there is a knowledge it will be done away, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face shall know, I shall know. Uh, we know in part, But then I shall know fully, just as I have been fully known. But now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love is supreme. It is the more excellent way that Paul has been pointing us to. Because love endures forever. Paul is going on to to explain that the gifts of God that he gives to the church are important, but they are temporary. They serve a purpose, but in this world alone, they equip us for a mission, but that mission is to be accomplished because it only exists until Christ returns. Until then, as Paul goes on to say, he says, our knowledge and our understanding is, is incomplete. And then he uses that illustration of comparing it to the, the knowledge of a child compared to the knowledge of an adult. We look at a child who closes their eyes thinking that when they can't see you, you can't see them. And it's cute. It's appropriate. We play peekaboo that way, right? But as an adult, you know that when you close your eyes, they can still see you right? It's like looking at a mirror that's foggy. It's hard to make out details compared to seeing something face to face with your own eyes. Well, in the same way, this side of heaven, things like teaching God's Word in order to understand and and know the God we serve, they're important. But when Christ returns, I'm out of a job. Because you don't need me anymore. In fact, you don't need the words of Paul anymore because you will experience the fullness of the love of God for yourself. It's in that moment that we will no longer struggle with all those theological questions because in my mind they won't matter anymore. We'll no longer struggle with our identity or our purpose because we will see who we were ultimately created to be. Things like miracles and gifts of healing, not important when there is no sickness, no sadness, no mourning. They have a purpose, but that purpose is reserved for this world alone. And they ultimately are intended to point people to the source of those miracles and those gifts And that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. In fact, when Paul says, I think it's interesting how he words it in verse 12. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully just as I am fully known. I believe that Paul is telling us that in that day, We will finally see ourselves as God has always seen us, as his child, forgiven, free, deeply loved. Again, we'll no longer struggle with identity and purpose because we will see who we were ultimately created to be. Sin will be abolished and God's love will reign for all eternity. Yes, the gifts are important. And this side of heaven, we should earnestly seek and desire those things that help to equip and encourage the church of Jesus Christ. It's appropriate for now, but not necessary when our Savior returns. Yes, in this world, we desperately need faith. We desperately need hope. We desperately need love. But of those three, only love remains. Why? Because our faith will become sight. Our hope will be realized. But that love will be experienced for an eternity. It will remain. And how we use our gifts, this side of heaven, should be motivated by that truth and empowered by that love. So as we think about that, I, I want to ask you to consider something just in terms of how this might apply to us. Paul seems to be saying that our goal in life, really either now or even in the life yet to come, eternal life, that our goal is to experience, to express, and to be empowered by God's love. To experience, to express, and to be empowered by God's love. So based on Paul's description of what we've been going through he's made it clear that the experience of god's love is best known within the context of the body of christ that he fit together for that purpose now we've seen that clearly communicated in his letter to the corinthians but just for the sake of conversation i'm going to throw in another one that says the same thing to a different audience listen to what he writes to the ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the power working of each, in each as individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Paul is saying the same thing, that, that God's presence exists within the hearts of God's people. And to know that love is to experience those relationships that He has created and and fit together, empowered by His Spirit, so that that divine love works in and through us in order to make an impact for the world and the world for Christ. I mean, how do they know that we're His? Because of our love for one another. It's part of the design. And so that's God's intent. His presence dwells among us. And if you want to know God's love, do you invest yourself deeply into the lives of God's people? That's where it is. And it's expressed through how we use our gifts. He's made it very clear that He fit us together with purpose, each individual part, so that we then can... work through the ministries that He created, that we can depend on Him for the effectiveness of those ministries, and that it all comes together for the common good and the purpose of our mission to impact the world for Christ. So we experience His love in the body. We express that love through the utilization of of those gifts that He's given us for that purpose. And then finally, we are empowered by that love. We love because He first loved us. We forgive in the same way that we have been forgiven. We see the the life that we have been called to live through the, the life and example of Jesus Christ. So, if you want to know love, then you know Jesus. You walk intimately with Him. Pursue His heart, and you'll know love. If you want to know love, then know His people in whom His presence dwells, in whom He has gifted and fit together for the purpose of expressing that love to one another and to the world around us. It's the experience, the expression, the empowerment of a divine love that does not exist apart from a relationship with Him. So here's how I want to finish up this morning, especially in light of the fact that I really do believe that this is the music pass. It, it's the high point. It's what makes everything before and everything after have sense and purpose. And so I want to lead us through just the time of corporate prayer together. And so I'm going to guide us through what we've been talking about, not just this morning, but where Paul's taken us all together. And I want this to be our prayer, not my prayer, our prayer. And so as I give you a a moment of, of silence to consider the things that I will share with you, I want you to pray in your heart or pray in a small voice. But I want you to speak to the Lord about what God has put on your heart based on what we've been walking through together as a church family. So let's do that together. Pray with me. Father, as we walk through this passage together, we recognize and confess That our hearts are easily inclined towards selfish gain. Even in the use of the gifts that you've given us, we can turn the attention to ourselves. We can use service as a form of manipulation. We can hide sin and be unwilling to have the hard conversation. And Boy, how easy it is to love those who love us, but how difficult it is to love those who don't appreciate, who are unkind. So, Father, we confess this morning, individually and as a church family, that we have fallen short, that there are areas in our lives that don't match with what your intent and purpose is, even to the point of using gifts that you've given us for selfish gain. So we're just going to take some time now to ask for your forgiveness, to confess those things. And to speak openly about what you put on our heart. Father, it's only right as we come to you with that heart of confession to turn in thanksgiving for the promises that you've given us. That you have shown us the way because you are the way, the truth, and the life. Your, your life, the, the life of, of Christ is the, the perfect example of what we are called to live. You loved your enemies. You prayed for those who persecuted you. Your mercies are new every morning. Your love has no limits, no strings attached. And so you are the perfect example of what we are called to live. And you promise to empower us by your spirit to move daily closer and closer, to be conformed into that image of love toward one another in our relationship with you and in the world around us. So may we give praise for the goodness of giving us that example. Father, when we look at you, we see what we're missing. But that's why you came. To ultimately shape our hearts to be like yours. So teach us how to love as you first loved us. Teach us how to forgive as we have been forgiven. Show us the way. Help us to put our trust in you. To not rely on things that we take into our own hands. But to see your work in our hearts and through our lives, accomplishing your purpose. Father, that's our request. That's our petition, our prayer before you. And we make this known to you. Father, as a church, we believe you have fit us together. That your spirit dwells in and among us. And so would you teach us how to impact the world for Christ? Help us understand that changing the world begins with a change in our heart. It starts with a relationship with you and with one another. Learning how to love by Walking in fellowship within the body of Christ. So may our life, may our love, may our church bring glory to your name, make your presence known in and through us. May we, as a church, a body of Christ at Melanie Park, display the manifold wisdom of God. May it begin as our heart sincerely seeks you as the author and example of. Perfector of our faith and may it continue in our love for one another as we exercise the gifts that you've given us and experience the love that you've intended and then share that to the world around us impacting the world for christ father that's our prayer as a church body may we faithfully live that out to the praise and glory of your name and all god's people said amen